Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Final hour, Monday edition. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network, streaming live at OutKick.com, OutKick 360. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Been discussing a lot of college and NFL headlines, and we'll continue to do that over the course of the next hour. Coming up, we'll take a look at the New Year's Six Bowl matchups that includes Tennessee and Clemson and some other really strong matchups on paper. We'll try to rank them in anticipation. That's uh, straight ahead. Right now, though, SEC discussion and news and notes with SEC Mike. Michael Bratton, the host of That SEC Podcast. We subscribe to it. You should, too. And uh, last he joined us was at SEC Media Days. A lot has happened between July and yes, December. Mike, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. As always, I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. So, Mike, I think one thing that has not changed from SEC Media Days to now is your impression of Will Levis at Kentucky <laughs> and him as an NFL draft prospect. I- I'm with you. I've just never really seen it. I see some of the physical tools, but... Some of the intangibles of playing the, the position and not throwing it to the opposition and bad plays the worst time, that, that continued for Will Levis, but it's pretty clear there was a scapegoat this season and it was not Will Levis. It was the guy who got fired. Right. And, you know, I, don't, I never like to pile on these players, so I won't go too hard on him, but, you know, I just call it like I see it. And all that buzz was based on a, I believe, a CBS report, not even like a credible NFL insider or anything, but that he had one line, had Will Levis as the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. And he basically said, well, somebody's got to emerge. And that's what everybody ran with. And that's why everybody, he got all this hype and everything. I've, I've heard from NFL evaluators say, Will Levis is a solid prospect, maybe a second rounder, maybe a third rounder. But first overall, that was just ridiculous. And he's, he's had two years to show it in the SEC. And, you know, he is what he is as a solid player. I don't think he's going to be at a, franchise player in the NFL. Mike, were we in a regulation loss away from Nick Saban getting what he wanted in his pitch for Alabama to be in the playoff? A regulation loss for TCU. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. <laughs> I hope not, because I, so, I don't think yeah. Nick, Nick Saban and his Alabama program had no business being in the college football playoff. I mean, I the, the thing that, uh, and I'm a Tennessee grad, so I got to put that out there, but the the thing that didn't make any sense to me during any of this playoff discussion was just overlooking Tennessee and immediately going to Alabama. And that made no sense. I mean, I'm, you guys have made the point for about three weeks now, but the resumes are, are they don't even match at Tennessee beat Alabama. Why Tennessee was in that discussion. I have no idea, but I don't even think Tennessee deserved it. So Tennessee should not have been in the discussion at the end of the day after losing to South Carolina in the fashion that they did. Alabama had no business being in the discussion. And I, I think Ohio State's just fortunate that uh, no one else emerged. Southern Cal certainly had their opportunity. And, and once again, Lincoln Riley can't get it done when it, when it really counts. Mike, what would you think of the, uh, the media tour that Nick Saban went on on Saturday afternoon and evening after TCU lost? I get that if you're hosting a show or you're on a game – if Alabama's uh, Nick Saban is offered up to you, you probably don't turn it down and say no. But it struck me as desperate and, and a very odd decision for him to go on all of these shows at that time to publicly petition for his team and, and against other teams. I, I thought it was a bad look. What did you think? I thought it was pathetic. And I'll tell you right now, I was waiting to hear from uh, Coach Saban. I thought maybe he'd come on my show. Not that I'm <laughs> – have Eddie pool, but my God, yeah, you're right. He was on every show talking about the point spread. Last time I checked, Alabama was favored to beat Tennessee. They were favored to beat LSU. Didn't get that done. Huge favorites over Texas and Texas A&M. Nearly lost those games. Certainly could have lost both of those. So don't throw the point spreads. If we're just going to go based on point spreads, let's just put Alabama, Ohio State in the playoff from week one. We'll just skip them. They don't have to play any games. They can go six and six, uh, sit all their starters because they – I mean, that's based on reputation. It's based on brand. It's based on recruiting. And the college football playoff needs to be, you, you got to earn it. You got to earn it, what you do on the field. And flat out, Alabama did not earn that opportunity this year. And heck, I don't even think they earned it back in the, not the 2020 season, but the previous national championship run where Tua made the incredible pass. Their best win was on the road against Mississippi State. They got whooped in the Iron Bowl by Alabama. Auburn got they were on their way to the playoff. They lost to Georgia in the SEC championship game. And for some reason, we put in Alabama because they just got whooped by Auburn, but Auburn didn't get it done in the SEC championship. So there was some fear of, on, on my part that it, Brand was going to win the day. Once again, I'm just glad it didn't. So Josh Heupel today wins SEC Coach of the Year as voted on by the media. I've not seen the voting breakdown on this. I think he was a pretty clear winner, but there's some good options. Shane Beamer getting to 8-4 and four late in the year. Brian Kelly winning the SEC West in year one at LSU after their start. And Kirby Smart going undefeated in the SEC, also a good contender. Jimbo um, won his last game, too. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher, all that perseverance <laughs> to, to win that last game to get to five and seven. But in all seriousness, Mike, was there anyone in your mind that was close to Josh Heupel in this award? And I, you may have a vote. I don't know. But if not, who, who would get that second-place vote behind Josh Heupel? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, honestly, I vote Kirby to be SEC Coach of the Year. And I, I understand I got no problem with Josh Heupel being SEC Coach of the Year. What he's done in the two-year span is just incredible. I don't, I mean, short of uh, Nick Saban and, and Urban Meyer coming into Florida and Alabama, respectively, and, and getting those teams to the you know, the, the height of college football in a two-year span. And, you know, aside from those, I can't think of one similar. And Josh Heupel doesn't even have the talent those two walked into. So no problem, Josh Heupel winning it. But I, I just can't look past that South Carolina loss. And it's not just losing the game. It's the fashion you did. It was embarrassing. College football playoff on the line. And you basically no-showed. And I don't care what anybody says. That was coaching. They were poorly coached. In that South Carolina game, they you can make the case. I mean, every road trip in the SEC at night, that's difficult to win. I get it. But I just can't overlook that. So Kirby, what he's been able to do, again, we don't give this award for two-year spans, but all the losses, 15 draft picks, 13 players, I believe, is the number to the transfer portal. This is a team that just came in hungry and in a year of, of chaos in college football, uh, Georgia is basically the only team here. Michigan, you could throw them in, but they only had about two tough games they had to play where Georgia, week in, week out, they showed up. I think Kirby deserves some recognition, and and I'm fine not giving it to him because he was, you know, everyone picked them to win the East. He's got one of the best rosters in the country. I get it, but still, my vote would have been to Kirby Smart this year. SEC Mike with us. Mike Bratton, a host of the That SEC podcast. Um Bowl season is very difficult to predict because it's about which teams want to be there. And now with the opt-outs and everything else, who knows? Transfer portal, who knows? Again, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Looking at the SEC slate, though, Mike, uh, I don't know who's playing quarterback for Florida. They're taking on Oregon State. Missouri and Wake Forest just seems very bland. Uh, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas-Kansas is interesting, but I don't know which Arkansas team is going to show up. Meanwhile, Kentucky's in the Music City Bowl again against Iowa in a rematch from last year in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, I, I know the Wildcats don't want to be here. Um, there's not. There's more unsatisfying matchups to me this year than great matchups on paper. Right, and you mentioned the Music City Bowl, Kentucky, Iowa. I believe the the over under is, is something ridiculous, like fifty points, and it's already been bet down. So. Uh, I mean, not a lot again. of points. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be. Uh, yeah, you got to be a diehard to be down there for that one. Florida, you mentioned they're playing the number fourteen team in the country, Oregon State. They only got twelve days to get in fifteen practices, and like you said, <laughs> Anthony Richardson's off to the yeah. NFL. Uh, their their backup quarterback. I'm sure you covered it. Uh, he's in uh, legal trouble. He's no longer on the team. So I don't even know who in the heck Florida's going to have 
to uh, play quarterback, like you said. So uh, that seems like a, a lock, but you just never know with these bowl games, man. I mean, I remember last season, South Carolina was going up against North Carolina, and the storyline was North Carolina's quarterback who went on to become an NFL draft pick. He's playing. So, hey, the Tar Heels are going to roll this 6-6 six and six Shane Beamer team, right? No, it was like 28-7 to seven right out the gate. South Carolina dominated. So bowl games are already difficult to, to predict, and with the opt-outs, with, with all these things going on behind the scenes, NIL, transfer portal, I mean, they're just impossible to predict. Even the marquee games, Tennessee and an Orange Bowl, it sounds like some of their players are considering an opt-out. And that's, I mean, this is the biggest game of their lives. I can't believe players wouldn't want to play in it. Yeah, and and let, just mentioning the other good matchups, let's mention South Carolina, a chance to finish the season with Tennessee, Clemson, and Notre Dame as wins. That That's remarkable considering what we've seen from this offense prior to this stretch. And now Shane Beamer, I mean, I don't know how much you buy into momentum going into an offseason based on how much rosters turn over. But what a what a wild ride it's been, and what can this mean for Shane Beamer's program moving forward, Mike? Well, I think it's huge, and not necessarily having to win. I mean, obviously, a win would be, would cap such a great end of the season. But based on what I'm hearing, Spencer Rattler, Marshawn Lloyd, their outstanding receiver Juice Wells, who had emerged late in the season, they were all planning on not coming back. But you beat Tennessee, you beat Clemson, going into this bowl game. Now they're all leaning to coming back. So South Carolina, the, the momentum continues to build. The Gamecocks were one of the most active teams in the transfer portal last offseason. I look for that to continue this season to shore up those deficiencies. And hey, it's great for the Gamecocks. I think it's terrible for the for guys like Hugh Freeze that are coming into Auburn year one. I mean, they're going to expect in two years, you've got to be competing for SEC titles. And it, it's not just Auburn. It's all across college football. Josh Heupel was just another example we covered. But there's no time for these coaches to get it right. You either get it right right out the gate or we're already looking for the next replacement. But, hey, with all, all this money flying around, I don't think anybody really cares about that. Should Florida fans be nervous about Billy Napier given this first season, given everything going on around the program? Or was this just simply the necessary step in order to purge some of the problems in the program and start anew in year two? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, you got to think back. They were the last team to beat South Carolina, and they didn't just beat them. I believe the score was 43-6. Yeah. to six. The, the only score South Carolina got was a fake punt pass. So I'm, I mean, they completely obliterated South Carolina. They would have been coming towards the tail. I, had, they beaten, or had they beaten Vanderbilt, which is incredible to say. Yeah. I think Florida, you can make the case, is one of the hotter teams in the country, but they didn't. And at that same time, they booted about four or five players from the team, including one of their best players, Brenton Cox. And, you know, I think the writing was on the wall. I think divided locker room, to say the least, but I think that's what we're going to get with more NIL era. We just saw the announcement, Anthony Richardson, off to the NFL. I don't – I see the tools, but I don't think he's got any business in the NFL. He can't be consistent in college football. I wish him the best, but I think he should have come back for another year. Again, maybe that's an indictment on Billy Napier. His recruiting is off the charts, though. So, I mean, it, like I was saying, I mean, this is – you look at their schedule next year. They only got three SEC home games, and they'd have to go to Utah this mm. year instead of hosting Utah. So, I mean, if they go 6-6, six and six, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to be on the hottest seat in America. But if he continues to recruit well, I could see them turning it around. But, I mean, it's just – it's a complete unknown. And, again, Florida – 
you talk about a fan base that doesn't have any patience, particularly for a coach that uh, wants to play every game close, loves to run the ball, play defense, which they didn't play this year. Uh, it it kind of seems like a, a weird mix there. They're trying to do Alabama, Georgia light over there, but uh, off to a rough start year one. And we talked about momentum when it comes to South Carolina. Tennessee laid an egg defensively against South Carolina. They did bounce back and 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 beat Vandy fifty six to nothing after Vandy had won two straight conference games. Now they get Clemson, Mike. And you look at this matchup. There's a lot to play for for Tennessee. A chance to get to eleven wins. A chance to beat a team they're going to go head to head with in recruiting year after year with this Clemson team. But Joe Milton. How big is this game for him? You want to talk about momentum and having excitement going into an offseason. How important is it, or not important, for Joe Milton to go out and show something big in this game against a good defense, a really good defense that Clemson has? I mean, it's huge. And, you know, I would not be surprised at all if Tennessee is, uh, not that I've necessarily heard this, but you got to be Shopping for a quarterback, I would think, via the transfer portal. And this this is just a new era of college football. If Tennessee just won 10 games, if they regress to eight next year, people are not going to care that Joe Milton, they gave him a shot. Fans, are they demand excellence now. The next step is to beat Georgia, to win the SEC East. And just based on what I've seen so far, Joe Milton can't get that done. Now, maybe he changes my mind in the bowl game. Maybe he looks like – you know, you know, the player they anticipated him being last season. But, yeah, he's got a lot on his shoulders here. This is just – this is paramount. And I, I realize Tennessee's got a, a five-star quarterback coming in that everybody loves. Uh, I'm told Lane Kiffin, he believes he's the number one prospect in the country. So – and we all know Arch Manning was out there. So, yeah, Tennessee's getting a good one. But can you realistically win the SEC with a true freshman quarterback? I don't believe that you can. I think Tennessee, if Joe Milton does not get it done – against Clemson, who they're also on their backup quarterback now, although their backup may be a lot better than their starter for Tennessee, unfortunately. But if Joe Milton doesn't show them something in this game, I think you got to move on because the expectations are are only rising at Tennessee. And I just don't think you can go into a season with Joe Milton as your starting quarterback if your aspirations are to win the SEC. SEC Mike with us on Outkick 360. I, I preface this by saying it sounds ridiculous. Uh, but I, I'm asking because I've seen Ohio State against Michigan and I saw Michigan against Georgia. Um, will Georgia face a better test in the playoff or in the SEC championship game against LSU? <laughs> I think in the playoff game, no doubt. Um, I, I think Jane, Jane Dales was banged up. LSU, I mean, that team was limping in. That that was the one of the most disappointing SEC championship games that I can recall. And it, it had to do with them dropping that game in College Station to arguably the worst team in the SEC. So that all the luster was off that game. Georgia was a team on a mission. I think they still will be, but I think the only way to beat Georgia is to outscore them. And I think Ohio State's got the tools to potentially get that done. Georgia at times this season has failed to get it done, executing in the red zone, punching the ball in. Uh, they certainly got it done in the SEC championship game. That's why it was a blowout, but you got to outscore him. And I know Stetson Bennett's getting all this Heisman love. I mean, that's kind of a joke to me. I mean, he's, he's a very, very good player, but uh, yeah, I think CJ Stroud could potentially outscore him. So this is, this may be their toughest game. I think, I think uh, Michigan, I don't think they have a chance and certainly not TCU against Georgia. Yeah. But I, I don't know if Ohio state can win playing the finesse style that they play against Georgia. 
Uh, and I say that because I've seen Michigan beat the crap out of them the last two times I've seen them play up front in the trenches, and Georgia's going to do that because Georgia did it to Michigan a year ago. Right. Well, I mean, you got a good point, but I think most people look at Georgia, they think it, you know you need turnovers, you need a low-scoring yes. game. Yep. I, I go I go the exact opposite. Look what uh, uh, Bryce Young did to them in the SEC championship game a year ago. Mm-hmm. He threw for 400-plus passing yards. Of course, he had the great Jamison Williams. Ohio State's got some of those guys. So I, I think that's the only recipe to beat Georgia. And the bad part for Ohio State is <laughs> Georgia's got the best defense in the SEC. So yeah. it sounds simple, but it's incredibly difficult. But I think that's the only path to doing it. You got to outscore them. You got to go score for score. And at the end of the day, can Stetson Bennett get, get that done? He's MVP SEC championship game. He was MVP of the national championship game. He steps up in big moments. But I think that's the only way to beat Georgia. And Chad, we, we mentioned this last week, but – had we not seen Tennessee's offense get stopped by Georgia's defense already, I would be hyping up this matchup so much more with Ohio State. Yeah, and I, I said it earlier today, in fact, Marvin Harrison Jr. could be an X-factor in this game, but there's also a chance Georgia's DBs are just so good they can just body them in this game the way they did Tennessee's DBs. I do want to ask one about Hugh Freeze to you, Mike, and, and him at Auburn. Hugh Freeze never got Ole Miss to the SEC championship game, but no Ole Miss coach has done that. They're one of two teams never to go to Atlanta in the SEC championship out of the West. Here's my question. Does he win the SEC West at any point at Auburn? Is that something that's going to happen with Hugh Freeze in that division now that he's on the Plains? No. Uh, And Hugh Freeze, it's kind of hard to be impartial because I think he's – just kind of a scumbag, if I could say that on, on the air. He's you can, been that you way can say that, years. yes. It's fine to say that those words, for sure. <laughs> but, hey, the wild card, I think, with Hugh Freeze, obviously we all know the transgressions getting kicked out of the SEC. You got to believe he's going to be a man on a mission, and that's the wild card. He, he recruits like crazy. Now what he was doing at Ole Miss is legal, obviously. So he'll get the talent there. I think Auburn will be better. But at the end of the day, I mean, he, he was a losing coach in the SEC. A lot of people overlook the fact he beat Alabama twice. Well, he lost to Vanderbilt twice. He had a 10-win team at Ole Miss. He lost to Memphis that year. So he's a good coach. I think he's a little bit overrated. I think he's a poor man's Gus Malzahn is what he really is. Uh, so, no, I don't think he's this amazing coach. But And the fact, which I know we're moving away from divisions fairly soon here in the SEC, but having to go against Alabama, having to go against Georgia on an annual basis, that makes that one of the toughest – the jobs in the SEC, if not the country. So why do I have faith that Hugh is going to get that done? I think LSU is just going to keep getting better. If Texas A&M wises up, fires Jimbo, or at least hires a competent offensive coordinator, they're going to be in the mix every year. So, no, I think it's an uphill climb for Auburn. But it would it would surprise me if I'm wrong. I mean, he, like I said, he's going to be very hungry, very motivated to prove a lot of people wrong. But he's just part of this good old boy network down there in the SEC. And, and that's the only reason he's the job. He's got the job at Auburn right now. He's the host of that SEC podcast, SEC Mike. Michael Bratton has been our guest. Uh, Mike, let everyone know where you're, you're recording, I know, uh, multiple times a week because I get the update on my phone. Uh, when's the next one drop? Yeah, definitely. Every morning we put it out at uh, 5 in the morning, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all that jazz. Highest rated SEC show on the Apple Podcast app and Spotify. So check us out. We try to put one out every day during the season and during the off season when we can. Good work, man. We appreciate the visit and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Mike.
Absolutely. SEC Mike has been our guest. Uh, always great to catch up with him. Coming up, we'll dive back into some college football discussion, coaching movement, um, including the Tennessee offensive coordinator who's now at South Florida. And we'll discuss goalish and expectations moving forward for that program and for Heupel's offense, which, I mean, should be plug and play for the next play caller slash coordinator, but we'll see. Plus, uh, we'll give you the injury report from Monday Night Football, and the Manning cast is legit tonight. That's next in Outkick 360. From 6th and Peabody, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Jamie Chadwell. Last year, he's being mentioned. Two years ago, he's been mentioned for SEC jobs. Lands at Liberty. Liberty about to join Conference USA. And... Chad, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't either. It feels like a lateral move to me. Yeah, but it's rare that it... Yeah, exactly. It's rare that you see a lateral move that's this level. It's not a, it's not a no-brainer you leave Coastal Carolina for Liberty. And both... Yeah, both are on the same plane I'm sure as some Liberty alum I mean, is I, watching this I'm, right now and just losing their mind and going to tell us about all the benefits of Liberty... But I, I just don't see it. Maybe I'm not. I'm not seeing the. I'm not giving Liberty their credit. But Coastal Carolina is just as relevant to me, based on and where well, they've been in recent made years. Them just to as relevant. Yeah, right. Yeah. When I mean, they've been ranked in the college football playoff ranking, I mean, I. Yeah, I don't see it. I I thought Jamie Chadwell was a guy that would take the step up to. You know, if not an SEC job, a Big 12 job, a, yes. you know, a Louisville, a Cincinnati, Louisville, that Cincinnati, type of job. Georgia Tech, We're Colorado. We're going to talk about those two like, jobs, but yeah, th- this surprised me. South Florida, he was mentioned at South Florida and interviewed. Uh, we're going to get to who they hired, but this, this surprised me. And then Coastal, man, it is impossible to avoid when you're taking another job, your team is going to lay an egg yes. in their conference championship. That's yep. what... Hugh Freeze loses and there's badly no way to, to New Mexico State at the end of the year. There's no way. You've got Coastal Carolina getting housed in their conference championship. No way to keep it quiet. There's just nothing. What can you say? If you're a coach leaving for another job, if you worked hard to recruit guys to your school and then to coach them, we all understand outside looking in, but it cannot be easy if you're 18 to 22 years old and you're hearing this news, or well, that, I mean, you haven't been told about it, and you're reading about it, to go it out ties and... ties in with, uh, with Dilfer. Dilfer was worried about... He was co- coaching in a high school state championship game, and word got yeah. out he was going to UAB. Luckily, they're just so talented. I don't know yeah, that it was going to matter. Yeah, right. they were going to go out there and win no matter what. But no, it's, it's, it's a difficult spot. But I am surprised, Chadwell, this is his next move. I, I thought it would be a low-level SEC job, Another Power Five job, maybe at the lower levels, mm-hmm. but it would not be a Coastal Carolina to Liberty. Yeah, again, it's it's odd. I want to know the details behind the scenes there, and then what Coastal Carolina, the up and comer. I, I want to know the the next coach that gets to be the next Jamie Chadwell. Is there a good spot? So, if I'm Coastal Carolina, go going back to our yeah. Trent Dilfer discussion. I'm finding someone like that. Well, that's the trend now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah go, I mean, go hire the Jeff Saturday. Go hire the name and see if that works. That this is, it's we're gonna have to wait to see if Deion Sanders and Dilfer they work at this level. 
Deion Sanders moving up to Colorado, Dilfer moving into the group of five at, at, at UAB. But if this starts to work a couple times, why not take a big swing and try to get some publicity for your yes. program in such a crowded sports marketplace, especially within college football, that you are just you're trying to get scraps from the table of the SEC and Big Ten of any publicity you can get. Why not go for someone that's going to bring some shine to your program, some spotlight to Myrtle Beach in Coastal <laughs> yeah. Carolina? I, I'm I'm going that route if I'm them. Davey Hudson, what are you hearing? I can think of four million reasons a year Liberty was a little bit more enticing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Seven years. Four, four million more? Five. Well, about three million more. But seven-year deal averages over four million a year. I just don't see Coastal Carolina being able to match that. And so if you're Chadwell, it's another great place. You're going to have an opportunity to continue to build on your resume. I think he was, what, 31-6 and six in his uh, time at Coastal. So – He's a smart man. He's, uh, I, I think he's going to be successful. I think this is going to work out well for him. I'm now looking up a notable Coastal Carolina alum to see who could pull that money together to keep Jamie Chadwell there. See if there's any rich uh, alumni of Coastal Carolina that could possibly pull together that money. Hey, how about this? Patrick Swayze went to Coastal Carolina. Who knew? I, I, I mean, he's not alive, so yeah, right. But, I don't know if I'm breaking this news no, to you, Hutton, right now. No. And apologies if I this am. This isn't our old trivia But Patrick game. Swayze is, in fact, no longer with us. But maybe his estate could pull some money together. The the actor Michael Kelly, who plays in House of Cards, Doug Stamper. Oh yeah, also went to Coastal yeah. Carolina. I'm just trying to help I'm out. I'm sure he could coach football. I'm trying to help out Coastal here <laughs> to see what they could have done to keep Jamie Chadwell. Alex and, Golish. And that, look, that's a lot of money. Colorado's paying five million a year. Yeah. Liberty's paying four million a year. So that's a substantial increase in pay for Jamie Chadwell. That part of it makes sense. From a program standpoint, I'm getting equally as excited about Liberty and Coastal Carolina if all things are equal. If pay is close, I'm about equally as excited about both those programs. Tithes are much larger at Liberty. And the answer is not very with both of those. What else? I just wanted to correct myself. It was 31-6 and six in the last three years at Coastal, not overall. He also had the problem, um, oh gosh, he got in some NCAA problems at one point before. Because I remember his name was being floated around at Tennessee at one point, and there was a lot of talk about you better look into what he got busted hey, for man. at the FCS level. That's trending right now. Look at the hires. You know, you've, <laughs> you've got, you've got Dion, uh, who's walking into a room saying, you know, go ahead and pack your bags, hit the bus, hit the portal. Uh, meanwhile, Hugh Freeze is now the new head coach at Auburn. Um, you've got Dilfer, who recruited great at Lipscomb Academy <laughs> and he's now he's now headed to UAB um yeah it's I mean how good would UAB age. if if be if just he just took the Lipscomb team and yeah, moved them up I, yeah like a farm system I if think he just every, took think, all of his guys and put them everyone there, this, how good are they next this weekend year? received an offer from UAB Jeff. oh I'm sure everyone uh and you know Kiffin gets a raise to stay at Ole Miss who would have bet on that three years ago that they were going to pony up and pay him and the way Kiffin Kentucky now pays to their me coach. is an Ole Miss lifer yeah and that's fine. I mean, he's not. I don't think he's leaving for anything. But maybe if he gets another crack at the NFL, which I don't think is going to happen. What do you think about Golish? And the here's my thing: Alex Golish is the the trend, the 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 hot topic, right? Based on the the Tennessee offense, and rightfully so. The question I would have is: How much does he have over that offense versus what Josh Heupel is running? Because it's Heupel's offense, and at no point 
during the last two years have I thought to myself, man, Alex Golish outcoached the defensive coordinator here. It's always been me giving Hypo credit. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, I am intrigued, though, to see what he's able to do and how fast it can translate outside of what we've seen in Knoxville. To give him credit, though, Chad, this is a coaching staff that came in and over, it, that took over a roster that was not producing wins and wins and more losses. And they've turned that into what is an Orange Bowl team right now against Clemson a year and a half later. So I, I, I do want to preface everything by saying, that. is he immediately going to jump in and run that same offensive style at South Florida? Is that the expectation? Absolutely. And is he calling plays? Yes. I think Was he's he going to have a hand Heupel's in offense? Him. Yes, I, I think he was calling plays. I think Heupel, it's impossible not to watch Josh Heupel on the sideline with a play sheet over his mouth right. on offense. He's doing something. I, I think there's a mix and match. Okay. I think they're talking about it at times and maybe discussing things with each other. Alex Golish, his big help to Heupel was, and I think he learned this at Iowa State, he added to the heavy package of short yardage, oh, especially from last year to this year. He had a big hand in that. And Josh Heupel went out of his way to, to credit Alex Golish for bringing in a lot of those concepts that saw Princeton fan as a tight end lined up at fullback and them taking snaps under center and I doing some different things. They took what they had and made the most of it. Right. They, they morphed that offense, and Golish was a big help with it. But, I mean, you're not hiring Tennessee's offensive coordinator without expecting the exact same offense that Tennessee led well, the nation with at, at USF. Right, but you, my, I guess what I'm saying is if I'm hiring an offensive coordinator from an offense that's the talk of the nation, I'm expecting that guy to come in and call plays, and I can't tell you what the percentage is on what Heupel was doing versus Golish. I don't think that was ever really known. No, I, I'm with you. And if you're, I don't if you're hired for what you do best, you want your guy calling plays. And I'm not saying he's not going to do a good job. I think he will. I just don't know how much credit to give him versus Heupel on what we saw offensively. Because we don't give Heupel the bit, we give Heupel the benefit of the doubt on how bad the defense was at times. But when the offense is great, it's Heupel's offense and not Golish's offense. That's all I'm saying. And Golish benefited from that ultimately here. If Heupel has any say in offensive play calling, which I think he absolutely does, I don't know what the percentage is, but he's yeah. calling plays. Yeah. Right? He's that may yeah, not, he's, maybe doesn't call all of them, but he's got a big hand in what's going on with operation, operationally with that offense, the install. At, absolutely, and play calling, absolutely. If that's the case, and you're Tennessee, you just promote Joey Halsley, who's been with them for that's a long time, who's the too. quarterback coach, and just keep the thing going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would never think about it, unless it's someone that you really like that's worked with you before, that's doing a lot of the same things, or that can add to the offense. I'm, I'm just promoting from within and then hiring someone else to, to coach a position. Yeah, elevate and then retool. Because you know, Halsley it, at Tennessee, he played quarterback at Oklahoma for Josh Heupel. He's coached with him for, I think, 10, 11 years. Younger guy. But I'm just promoting him. We'll see what he does. Tennessee, while we're talking Tennessee, they get Clemson in the Orange Bowls. We take a look at the New Year's Six Bowl games. And this is the matchup we wanted, right? With it fresh. This is not Alabama against Clemson in the Orange Bowl, thankfully. This is not uh, one of the matchups where you could get a rematch of, what, USC and you're, well, USC gets Tulane here, but you're, you're not seeing the, the rematch of the of the uh, Rose Bowl from last year either. Uh, Chad, I, I like what we're getting at the end of this month, turning into uh, January in 2023 with all the all the all the matchups here. I, I'm intrigued by USC simply because what are they going to be invested in versus what Tulane has to Especially win? Especially Caleb Williams tweaking his hamstring. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
Um, and it, I mean, will Caleb Williams, if he plays, actually put "fu" to Tulane on his on his <laughs> knuckles? Um, you got to stay course, consistent. Of course, the college football playoffs going to be fun, and Alabama Kansas State is very intriguing because I think part of the reason why Saban's lobbying to get into the top four is he wants his team focused and ready as they prepare for their opponent, and they normally that's not hard to do. And now it's Kansas State who is going to be as the Big Twelve champ. They're coming in thinking. Yeah, we're going to knock down the almighty Crimson Tide. And this is one of those scenarios where I normally wouldn't buy it. Based on what I've seen from Kansas State this season, I absolutely think. And it's more about what I've seen from Alabama over the last two years with the penalties and delay of games and Kansas just the State, dumb mistakes. this is their Super Bowl. Yes. I mean, this is a night. Yep. A night. It should be a night. Sugar Bowl in, in the 11 a.m. in the morning, by the way, is ridiculous. I understand they had to do this because... New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, and they don't compete with the NFL, but the Sugar Bowl is a New Year's night yeah. festival. Agreed. That is a traditional bowl a game party. right there next to the Rose Bowl. It's in New Orleans. Come on. The Rose Bowl is late afternoon on New Year's Day, and it is evening for the Sugar Bowl when on I New Year's Day. When I think of 11 a.m. bowl games, I'm thinking of the Belt Bowl, not the Sugar Bowl. I'm thinking Citrus and you know Outback going head-to-head yeah. on the, one of the ESPN family of networks. That's what I'm yeah. thinking on 11 a.m. I'm not thinking Sugar Bowl. But Alabama's not going to be motivated for this game. Are you kidding me? That's what I'm saying. Those yeah. guys, I mean, they are – that program is so damn good that they view themselves as failures for having lost a national championship game a year ago and going 10-2 and this year and finishing fifth nationally. Most every other program in the country would pray for the season Alabama had this year, Tennessee being one of them, and they finally got it. And now they're going to play Kansas State, fresh off a win with their backup quarterback, Will Howard. Deuce Vaughn is a handful for anyone. I, I would bet the house on K-State. In this game, That's and I'm, I'm not too. one. I'm not one to I'm normally bet against Bama, but I think Nick Saban in part is lobbying because he knows with the program he's built, it's going to be very hard to get his players motivated and playing hard and playing well against Kansas State in a Sugar Bowl, which I know sounds crazy because it's the Sugar Bowl. But I like Kansas State in that one. Tennessee's going to have no shortage of motivation against Clemson. I think the same goes for Clemson because now they're playing with a new quarterback in Klubnik. So you got Milton, the backup, versus Clublick, the new starter. Milton also the new starter, but the backup. Really like that matchup. Mm-hmm. The other one that jumps out to me is I think Utah-Penn State's going to be terrific in, in the Rose Bowl. Because Utah... Not a lot of talk about Penn State this year, but I mean, their two losses are to two of the four playoff teams, and that's it. And Utah gets to a, a second straight Rose Bowl after going for the first time ever a year ago. And unlike Ohio State, they want to be there. Right. And their fans will go. That, well, I'm with you on that. It's going to be good. And I'm intrigued by Tulane. I really am. Because SC, they thought they were in the playoff. And now they're playing Tulane. I would say that about, and it's not a knock on Tulane here. This is just like, if you're looking at the New Year's Six and all the opponents, and then you're getting Tulane, it just doesn't add up, right? You, it, the focus isn't there. I just want USC to be close to full strength and Caleb Williams to play in this game because what I hate is Tulane could win a really close game and then even yeah. for Tulane people, you're left saying, well, all their best players didn't play. They opted out. So what, you know, is that, that's a, kind of a hollow victory. The best part about this graphic, though, that we're looking at with all these matchups for the New Year's Six, this is the playoff moving forward. You know, these teams will be represented. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not debating on what the best matchups. We, we get great matchups weekly 
with the bye weeks and they'll be on campus. You know, this is... And I, I just, I still look at it from, it's not just the final result in the 12. We're, those games are going to be great and we're going to get good matchups. It's that you're going to have 25 to 30 teams in the discussion in mid-November. There's going to be so many scenarios. I mean, think about Utah everything that happened on championship yes. weekend. Yes, Oregon and Utah would be up for debate. And really, the only change November. was Ohio State subs in for USC. But think about all the implications with dominoes falling behind those teams. Yep. Old Miss is in the mix. Now they're not. Trying to get to 12. It just opens up the door to so many more possibilities and so many more fan bases that are going to be legitimately engaged in their team competing for a national championship. And right now, there's really just a handful of teams that you're actually considering that, even in mid-October. You know, by early mid-October, there's just a handful of teams that's truly looking at it thinking, we can get into the dance. And then you add eight teams to it, it's going to help everything. I I really believe that. I am all for it. Same. Uh, Coming up, we get into uh, Monday Night Football. We'll give you our picks and what we think happens tonight between the Bucs and the Saints. Plus, Dr. Pepper does the right thing after a tie in the SEC Championship Tuition Challenge. We'll fair or foul this coming up on Outkick 360. Interesting matchup tonight in a bad division uh, for the NFC South. We'll get to our picks in just a moment for the Bucks and Saints. As we wrap up, though, Chad, uh, the Dr. Pepper Challenge for the tuition. Yeah, this is a championship weekend staple. All the yeah. championship games, they get out the sideline reporter. You get the two kids from... Usually obscure colleges going head-to-head for $100,000 to their respective schools and tuition money. And uh, what happened in the SEC Championship Challenge is something I don't think we've ever seen in this. First off, the chess passes have to go away. But the way they designed this thing is it's so close and you have such little time, it's almost better to throw the chess pass. Well, they could outlaw the chess pass, the though, if they wanted yeah, to. And could. it doesn't matter on the time or how close you are. True. Um so it was a tie. It ended okay. in a tie. And I think the first round ended in a tie. They went to a second one, ended in a tie. The woman that, if you're watching the show, you saw jumping up and down, excited. She knew that she won. There's some qualifying deal the night before. And if you have a higher score in that, that's the tiebreaker. So she knew she won the $100,000 because of the tie. Well, Dr. Pepper got booed by the fans <laughs> When they announced a winner because of some previous thing no one saw. Now, before the end yeah. of the game, the sideline reporter, David, you know her name, the SEC CBS sideline reporter, new girl, we can find it. I forget, I forget her name now. Brunette. I'm just going to keep talking about it until somebody yeah. finds it. Either way, sideline reporter later in the game reported, hey, you saw what happened at halftime in the game for the Dr. Pepper tuition challenge. Well, we've been informed that Dr. Pepper has decided. Jenny Dell. Jenny Dell, thank you, has decided to go ahead and give $100,000 to each participant good. after the tie. That's a big-time statement. It's a lot of money, too. So good for Dr. Pepper for doing the right thing and awarding both participants with the $100,000 tuition check. Yeah, the chess pass thing, I wait for someone to not do it, but it's become so regular. It's, you have to do it because the other person has a, a clear advantage if you don't. Based on the speed of it. It's the, it's the timing of it. It's the distance. And they clearly practice going into it where it's easier to grab with the two hands and then chest pass it. Yeah, I, I don't like it, though. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. Monday night football tonight. The Buccaneers are hosting the New Orleans Saints. 
Uh, believe it or not, the Saints, with a win, can be a half game back of the division lead, uh, even though they are 4-8, and eight, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, a half game behind Tampa in the division, and it would put them in a tie with the Falcons, who lost yesterday. Um, I'm not picking the Saints, though. Even though the Saints have had great success against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers over the last couple of seasons, this is this feels to me like the Tampa-Seattle game in Germany where it's a, it looks like a toss-up, but I feel like the better roster ends up winning this game and the better quarterback overall. Brady will make some plays tonight. And the run game, they've got to get the run game going in Tampa. Uh, Fournette is returning tonight. They've got White there as well out of the backfield for the pass game. Um, the Buccaneers have only topped 100 yards rushing twice this year. But Chad, this is the night they're going to need it. And I think it's a close game, but I'm taking Tampa outright on the money line. I have gone back and forth on this because of that history with Brady versus these Saints, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go big. I'm going to go Tampa minus three and a half in this game, and I'm going to say Mike Evans scores a touchdown as an anytime touchdown score in a parlay. Dennis Allen's not a very good head coach, but he is great at scheming up Brady. Um, In these matchups, the Bucs have only averaged 14.6 points per game, and Brady's been sacked an average of of three times per game. So if they get to him like that, great. I just don't I don't see that same consistency from the Saints defense. So uh, again, we're both taking the Bucks. If the Bucks end up losing this, who knows who ends up winning this division? Hutton, who's Could on, be Carolina. Who's on Manning Cast tonight? Uh, tonight on the Manning Cast, Dana White will be on, uh, as well as Robin Roberts and Randy Moss. Not bad. Randy Moss, Dana Not a bad White, lineup. Also, during that broadcast, we will know who's invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. They are announcing during Monday Night Countdown on so ESPN. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because you think they get up to five? You think they invite up to, up to five? I hope that's at least four. I, I don't want to see a scenario because it's so wide open this year where there's only three invited. This seems like a year to have five. But even whenever Devontae Smith was the winner, did was there only three there? That felt wide open too. I don't know. Like it just normally there's a big separation gap, and if you don't qualify, they're not flying you up. I hope there's five because it's wide open, and the intrigue would be glorious. I stopped taking math classes early in college for a reason. Yeah, don't know. That's why we talk sports each day, three o'clock Eastern. Join us tomorrow for Outkick 360.